If this is your first time listening to How Did It Come To This? Welcome. Uh, yeah, hi. <laughs> you should go back to episode one of this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a part two. Yes. Um, but then you can come back and join us. It's a trilogy. We're doing a trilogy. We are doing a trilogy. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if this is your first time, go back to episode 301, uh, mm-hmm. where we introduce all the things that we're going to talk about today in episode 302. Hooray. Yay. Welcome to How Did It Come To This, historically explaining the news since 2020. Sitting next to me is a woman who asked me last week, what happened to my introduction? It's Siobhan Doherty. Hi. <laughs> and across from us, it's a man who never wants to be introduced. It's James Tuckwell. Hi, James. Hello. Uh, Good to have you here, James. Even if you aren't on microphone. <laughs> he is here. <laughs> um, right. I, did, I forgot introductions last week. Yeah, that's yeah. all right though. Yeah. We were rusty. We were very rusty. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Anyway. And I'm we'll Daniel Matters. We'll just improve. Yeah. Yeah. This week, part two of the complex issue that is Ukraine. From empire to hetmanate to democracy. Last week saw a land given and taken by the empires around it. From the end of World War II, Ukraine has been constantly torn between communism, its people, its land, and those who would control it. What was Stalin's legacy? Why did Russia give up Crimea? What happened behind the Iron Curtain? What's the deal with Khrushchev? How does all of this lead to Putin? And ultimately, how did it come to this? Ooh, the Cold War years. Cold War years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's um, like before, like I, I, I like the Cold War as a, as a period to study mm, of history. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I enjoy many aspects of looking at that. But yeah. like if I'm... If I'm being honest, mm. I've never thought about Ukraine no. in the midst of this. Well, I'm, I guess you kind of think of it as part of the Soviet Union. You think about it as part of the Soviet Union. But not with its own, um, you know, separate identity or mm. desires or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, will or anything like that. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit um, mm. removed from what you think about, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Cold War, you think Russia and you think America and that's... Basically, it. I mean, we do think deeper than that because we are history teachers. <laughs> <It's true. but laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> Be like, no, that's pretty much all there is to it, guys. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't. I unless you're looking. The only time I've kind of considered those other countries is when you're looking at the collapse of the Soviet Union, and then you start to look at like Hungary and Romania, yeah. and, like, and like what they were doing um, in that time. But um, you know, from about 1945 onwards, it's just like one big unit. Yeah. So I'm glad that we did this because yeah. I've learned some things yeah. um, that I'm ready to share. Learning. Um, so I thought um, there, there was an article that I read last night that I thought would be interesting to just yeah. kick us off again, For just sure. to remind us. Yep. Um, so this is from uh, The Guardian yep. uh, by Andrew Roth and it was written today. Um, We're and so like finger on the pulse oh, podcasting, aren't we? Aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this one is Putin's Dilemma. What is his next move in Ukraine? When Vladimir Putin stood up to speak at this week's Victory Day parade in Moscow's Red Square, there was an expectation around the world and in Russia that he would decisively seek to escalate the war in Ukraine towards a conclusion. But as Moscow correspondent Andrew Roth tells Michael Safi, Putin did nothing of the kind. He did not even claim the victories that were available to him. There were no announcements regarding defeated cities in Ukraine now under Russian control. Instead, he spoke of helping the military families who had sacrificed their sons to the conflict. The muted tone of the speech was revealing. It shows, says Roth, that Putin is faced with a dilemma that could make or break his presidency and his legacy in Russia. If he escalates the conflict, he stands more chance of winning the kind of victory he initially hoped for. But should that fail, he would face humiliation. Alternatively, he could claim victory now and seek to de-escalate the conflict. But would a limited compromise declaration of victory be regarded as anything but a retreat? Mm. What do you think? Ugh. <laughs> Give us Man, your in-depth speculations. <laughs> Maybe I'll save that for next week. Okay, I guess <laughs> when we actually when discuss we, Putin, when we wildly speculate on what's going to happen. Yeah, okay. I do. I do, I don't like wildly speculating on this show. No, it's, it seems a little bit. Um, 
If you want my personal views, send an email to <laughs> how did it come to this podcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. Um, no, I think um, he he is at a place where he's going to have to make a decision soon, I think, as to yeah. what what Although what he wants out of it. it yeah, um, it just becomes a bit of a quagmire, right? Like it does. Quagmire? Like, will it, I, I, said, I'm, I think quagmire. we'll probably discuss this next week too, but like what um, what is – like, is this going to become another, like, Afghanistan for Russia? Well, yeah. That's um, what we want to avoid, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's uh, – it's. I think it's not going to drag on the way that oh, – here I am, wildly We're wildly speculating no, now. Well, no, okay, stop. Stop Let's wildly just, speculating. We're talking about 1945 to 1991. <laughs> yes. And, and what happened. Sure. All right, well, let's, let's go I'm back, gonna, shall I'm we? Make my phone silent now. So oh my goodness, she's so unprofessional, so guys. Unprofessional. So unprofessional. So unprofessional. Don't bring phones into the studio. I've also just been told to put my microphone closer to my mouth. I apologize for last episode, too, guys. I, I tried really hard to boost a voice, but it the best it could do. Yeah. My anyway, bad. that's okay. Let's my go back bad. in time. Let's go. All right, back to 1945. Last week we discussed the end of World War Two. Yeah. We kind of discussed... Should we do a little bit of like a, a wrap-up of like well, the situation? The thing I thought of most of all when I started the research for this week was mm. that um, both sides uh, kind of had a scorched earth policy, right? Yes. Um, so, you know, Hitler told his troops lay waste to Russia, yep. essentially, wherever yep. you go, which yep. they did. Yep. And then as the Soviets pushed... The Nazis back. Yeah, Stalin was like, destroy, destroy everything. Everything. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that the you know the Germans couldn't then push back. I guess mm. was his plan like, there. Yeah. In, yeah. In case there was nothing for them to yeah, to take no back because there it won't be of any use to you. Yeah. In your war machine. Which so. um. Which which leaves a devastated yeah, country. Nothing. There yeah. was really nothing left. Yeah. In Ukraine at mm. the time, like it was anything really of devastated. any like agricultural value or industrial value um, would have just been destroyed. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, Ukraine was completely, um, almost obliterated. Um, and seven, seven million Ukrainians died. Yeah. Um, Real tragedy. Like, yeah. Just a, a, almost unfathomable. That's a un- lot of people. Unfathomable number. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those statistic numbers where you kind of can't really. Yeah. Try to think of the, the immensity of it and you just, you just kind of can't, um, other than to know that it was huge. Yeah. Um, I, one thing I w- wanted to cover mm-hmm, last time mm-hmm. I did it was the massacre of Baba Yar as well. Oh, um, okay, yeah. Have Tell you me. heard of it? No. So um, up to the point when it happened, it happened in uh, forty one. Um, it was the worst uh, massacre committed by the Nazis during mm. the war. Um, mm. Late in later years, there were like two more Odessa, I think one. Odessa, one, yeah. And, um, there was another one that that ended up being a bit worse, I think, which is in oh no, in Poland. Um, but yeah, uh, so thirty. Where are my statistics? Thirty-eight thousand in one day. Wow. Um, and just not necessary uh, Jews, um, and uh, Roma and POWs, mm-hmm. and there was a um, a survivor who was an actress. Who right. She, she gave testimony uh, to what happened. Um, right. I think there are like twenty-nine known survivors of this. So twenty-nine out of about like thirty. Okay. Um, thirty-eight. No, sorry, thirty-three thousand seven hundred and seventy-one. Mm. Um, and so she survived by jumping because it was a ravine just outside of Kiev. Mm. Um, and so she jumped before they shot and just pretended to be dead. Right. Um, and then ha- survived sort of as they kind of just shot into the just to make sure, and then they covered it up, and she had so she had to like dig out of the dirt. Wow. Um, and then by the time she got out, it was nighttime. She ran away. Um, and, and managed to survive the rest of the war um, and, and gave testimony. So um, there were people tried for that crime at Nuremberg. Wow. Mm, you, yeah. You know what's nuts about that? Like, I'm not trying to make light of this at all in oh, any way. Obviously. But, but um, when I was a kid, like I used to think about how would I survive a situation like that? Yeah. And I would think to myself, oh, you play dead. Yeah. Right? And then, and then you can, you know. Yeah. And she actually did it. Yeah. Like that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, that's what she did. That's um, nuts. Mm, so pretty incredible story. Yeah. Um, but sort of is also a symbol of the brutality of what happened in New- in Ukraine, especially. Yeah, um, I think the, the the Eastern Front is just yeah brutal. Yeah. 
Um, I did watch a documentary that said that no other country um, in Europe was sort of laid waste to to the extent of Ukraine. Right. That was a Ukrainian documentary. So, I mean, you know, Poland was also kind of trash. Sure. And yeah, so, you know, I, ha, and how do you measure it? And, like, how would you measure that? But, um, you know, it was, yeah. Um, yeah, a lot of the sources I read were talking about, you know, when, when the – the government of Ukraine come together at the end of World War Two to kind mm. of pick up the pieces. Mm. It's it's kind of like, oh, we got to pick up all the pieces. Every like, piece, yeah. Th- there's just nothing left. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, yeah. when the like, um, the, there's like a collective leadership get together mm. and they they look at what's going on and they're like, okay, it's it's bare bones basics. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and, um, and such a huge, like, humanitarian problem that needed to be addressed. Um, so, like, some stats ha- that I have, um, like, 70% of Kharkiv yes. uh, was destroyed. Yes. And Kiev was worse. Mm. Um, so, it, we've got the 7 million Ukrainians that died, 1.4 million Jewish Ukrainians. Uh, that doesn't actually include the number of people who were taken into forced labour and didn't survive. Yep, yep. Um, because that just can't be measured, I yep. think. Um, and I think we, we talked about... Um, Ukraine being the food bowl yes. um, before yeah. the war. Yeah. And as the Nazis go in the zone of total annihilation, mm. as Adolf Hitler called it, mm. um, they destroyed like 29, 000, no, 27,000 collective farms. Yes. Um, yeah. Like just pretty much all the tractors yeah. destroyed. Yeah. Um, you know, like that, that kind of infrastructure mm. just to have basic things like food. Food. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, which is gone. Like they, it's like as if it couldn't get worse, but there's like a famine, there's a famine in uh, 1946 to 47, mm. which happens as a result of a, like a series of factors. But uh, one of those is like the devastation before. And then um, there's an attempt by the Soviet Union to collectivize again. So inflexible collectivization that doesn't address the needs of the specific area that you mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. collectivizing. Farmers moving to the cities because there's work there. Yep. Um, so there's a lack of farmers and then also a drought. Um, so it's believed that in that year, 1.5 million people died um, yeah. from famine. Wow. Um, so it's just a story of, um, like, yeah, devastation. It is. It's yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. So uh, I also had um, – so when, when this group of Ukrainian leaders get together at the end of the war, mm. um, they also decide to do a couple of things that I think are interesting. So one of them is they amend the constitution. Yep. Um, and when they amend the constitution, they do it so that – they can play some funky international politics. Ah. Um, so the idea was um, because, you know, all these – we talked about last week that all the all the Soviet countries are kind of one block. Yep. Yes. Um, that kind of report to Russia. Yeah. Um, even though they're technically, I guess, independent yeah. states in a, in a way. Yeah. So they changed the constitution um, to allow it to act separate as a state in international law. Okay. And so that they can then become founding members of the United Nations. I did read that they're a founding member of the United Nations. Yeah, and so and one I of the reasons, yeah, yeah, one of the reasons they, they do that, that yeah. is so, it's so yes, yeah, so they they break apart the Soviet Union as yeah. a as a thing. Okay, right. So that in the United Nations they can have these independent you have countries. The so that yeah, then okay. then you can have a block of countries that can vote together yeah. and have more <laughs> influence than just the one. The one vote. The one vote. That's clever, isn't it? Yeah, I like that. Um, <laughs> so that was th- yeah, yeah, the little, yeah. Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but then, so like th- they're doing those funky things, but then on the other side of that, um, look, Stalin rules for a, a few more years and does yes. some dodgy things to still. To 53. Yeah. <laughs> um, things still aren't great underneath him. Although he's kind of happier now because he won World they War Two. He also um, gains, you know, notoriety on the international stage, which is also one of the things he wanted. Yeah. Think um, the photo with uh, um, Roosevelt and yep. Churchill. Yep. yep. <laughs> uh, and so because of that, he's not as necessarily paranoid as he used to be yep. in some regards. I mean, in things are still happening, but it's not still as... Still got the race to Berlin and stuff like that. Yeah, right? he's still got all yeah. that kind of stuff going <laughs> yeah. on. So he's, yeah. I guess maybe he's got more international paranoia now. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, it's not as – things aren't as bad, I want to say. But I d- no, like but I, I mean, 
nationalism in in Russia would have been quite high. It's right? high, like, super high. The they call the like, World War Two the Great Patriotic War. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it's um, it's seen as a, a great victory for mm. communism. Mm. Um, I think it probably bolstered morale quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so, um, but I think the key thing is when Stalin dies, um, you get the the collective leadership of the Soviet Union coming together um, and they elect Khrushchev as the the central party dude. Yep. And we're going to do a... Fun fact, fun fact, fun fact, fun fact. With Daniel. Well, thank you. It's a live rendition. Hey. How fun. (laughs) I do have a fun fact this week. Isn't that amazing? Um, In my research, I was looking at Khrushchev and um, I really got into Khrushchev this week. It was really fun. Um, Thanks, Tom. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, um, actually, I I like Khrushchev because when I think of Cold War, and Mm. I think a lot of people think like this, even though it was only like a couple of years, Mm. when I think of Cold War, I think of JFK and Khrushchev. Yeah. Like, that's like my immediate thought. You're such a JFK fanboy. I am a JFK fanboy. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Um, Not like... Okay, actually, as a JFK fanboy, can we just have a completely irrelevant aside? Sure. Kim Kardashian and the Marilyn Monroe dress. I hated it. (laughs) Why? Why? She's not Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Why desecrate you, the dress? Okay. So it's like it's like it's a piece of history that should be preserved. I thought so. Yeah. So she's just money grabbing, and because she can, she did. And I think so. Don't like I don't that. like that. Don't you like that we can live history? Sure. <laughs> Why is she wearing? I mean, I'm it? not a fan of it. Why is she? Why is she wearing? Like she's, uh, she's. I, I think what she Marilyn Monroe would not. What's she trying? What's she trying to say? Is she trying to say she's gonna have an affair with the current president? Like, what is she trying to say with this dress? <laughs> that I'm really, really rich and I can do what I want. Okay. <laughs> well, my fun fact though. Back to that. Yeah, sorry. Um, so <laughs> I digress. Um, Khrushchev, kind of Ukrainian. And I say yes, kind of because, yeah, <laughs> because he's kind of born on the border. Yeah. Um, and at the time there was no real border, I guess. Right. Um, so he, he's, he, he, and a lot of his family live in Ukraine. Mm. And in fact, there is a quote that I found, I haven't got it in front of me. It's really annoying. Um, but there is a quote Back where, checker, go. where he talks about, um, someone tells him about, I think it's someone from Finland or Sweden. I can't remember exactly. Yep. They tell him about something in Ukraine. And he's like, I'm very happy about to hear about that. I'll bring my, my grandmother tonight in Kiev. Aww. Um, yeah. He still talked to his grandma talk, yeah. even after he was yeah. president. Yeah. That's lovely. It was pretty cool. So did he consider himself like I don't think so. Probably not. I don't yeah. think so. Okay. In what I read, like everything talks about him be, being Russian. Yeah. When he retires, which he does retire, mm. um, which is interesting for a Soviet era leader. Sure. Um, yeah. They're kind of like the popes. He retires to he retires in Moscow with an apartment in Moscow. Yeah, okay. Um, dies there. Uh, I don't think. And and Bruz, um, I can't these names. Brezhnev. Brezhnev. Yeah, Brezhnev. He was ethnically Ukrainian. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So which is really interesting. So Khrushchev and Brezhnev. Yeah. Two of the most. Iconic leaders of this d- yeah. time period. They knifed um, it. They knifed Brezhnev knifed it. Brezhnev knifed it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> not, literally. I mean, not, not literally. Not figuratively. literally. Figuratively. Yes. Politically. <laughs> um, you know, uh, he's. Um, they're both Ukrainian, and they yes. they make decisions that aren't good or bad for Ukraine. That I that I well, like it's, like yeah, it's, I mean, it's not like they're trying to progress the. Um, I think they were gender of Ukraine. They were, you know what, you know what? I think I think they were they were Soviets through and through. And when yes. I say that, I mean like original style like Soviets. workers of the world unite Soviet. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't see national borders necessarily as yeah. a thing. Like they were seeing Must the Soviet Union really as a thing. Really interesting to see the world like that. <laughs> like sure. But, you yeah. Know, it would. I mean. I actually. I, I have a feeling. Like, and I, you know, now I am speculating here. Wild speculation. But like, I have a feeling that perhaps they were in a similar camp to someone like Trotsky, who wanted, you know, international communism real, without yeah. borders, real proper yeah. like. You know, we just have everyone working for everyone. Yes. Um, so I don't know whether they necessarily like they u- they definitely used nationalism and patriotism to yes. their advantage. Yeah. But I don't know whether they necessarily saw Believe themselves it. as Russian or like Ukrainian. Ukrainian yeah. or I, yeah. I didn't. I couldn't find anything that said that. If anyone knows, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. Actually, Please. yeah. 
That'd be really good. Um, yeah, so um, Khrushchev takes over in 1953. Yeah. Um, and um, it, it, there's... Um, it's like basically... A, De-Stalinization. Yes, yeah, so de-Stalinization yeah. is the next thing, and yeah. and and this is when the the Soviets are really like, mm, let's try and forget these Stalin years because it mm. wasn't really great, was it's it? It's like most people were straight up not having a good time. Yeah, um, and you this is this is when you have a the, like, uh, they they realize that what Stalin was doing was uh, the, we actually we talked about this last week to the, the Russification of mm. of everything, and they yeah. they want to try and stop that idea yeah um happening um and but the at the same time they're they're trying to re um they're trying to re-centralize things in a decentralized way that's really confusing yeah i get what you mean okay so they're they're, they're still trying to like they're they are de-stalinizing yep. but they want to sort of take back control of the soviet union while also allowing for each like the ukrainian soviet social republic to do its own its thing. own thing, yes, to an extent. To an extent, <laughs> I feel like to an extent. Always, there's always brackets after. To uh, an extent, and I suppose, like, I kind of like looking at it. I kind of thought of it like, like, I guess they're kind of state governments in that kind of regard. I guess so. Okay, that's of. an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, maybe. Mm. Uh, like, it was hard to find a lot of stuff without getting like super boring technical reading well, where like looking at how those interactions actually happen between those kind of bodies. That's kind of what I struggled with with this as well. It's it's um, like this period of time, um, it's all very technical and, and political um, and there are no like big events necessarily that happen except for 1986, but we'll talk about that a bit yeah, later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's just sort of um, ideas. Yeah, and I think and too, so it gets it gets absorbed into this like because internationally, it's all just seen as the USSR. Yes, as far as the West are concerned. Um, and so when you're talking about events that happen, we're talking about international events that involve Cold War Russia, mm. Cold War USSR. Yeah, and Ukraine was and there. Ukraine is part of that yeah. but like inside ukraine things aren't it's not that straightforward is it no not that black and white no yeah. not as yeah. not as black and white yeah um, um i found that um like in the immediate kind of uh post-war um rebuilding there was actually a lot of ukrainian pushback on soviet uh control yes um because of their um you know their inability to respond to Ukrainian problems. Um, but then it was stopped when um, Ukrainian farmers actually enlisted the support of the Soviet Union to take back control of their farms primarily. Yeah. Um, and so that's like it was sort of the beginning of this like revolutions too far, but like a little bit of pushback um, that was clamped down on because of Ukrainian farmers <laughs> who just wanted their land back. Well, who wanted their, and they wanted yeah. to be able to do food again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's what these local authorities were trying to achieve. Um, they were, they were, you know, everyone's trying to achieve the same thing, which is food. Um, but, yeah, and then after that it kind of became very centralised. Yeah, mm. yep. Mm. Um, and so in 1954, this I thought this was interesting, so a year after Khrushchev takes power, um, Russia uh, secedes... Crimea yes. to the Ukraine. To the Ukraine, yes. Uh, which it is the Ukraine at this point. It is the Ukraine <laughs> at this point. Um, yeah, explain that to me. <sighs> okay. <laughs> so it was, it's, it's complicated. Okay. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah. Okay, so uh, what, I, what I could find, so the things that were published in 1954 at the time of the, it was happening mm. um, said that the secession of, uh, the session of Crimea was a noble act on the part of the Russian people to commemorate the 300th anniversary of the uni reunification of Ukraine with Russia. Mm -hmm. um, like so, birthday present. Yeah, it was like a birthday present, which was the, that was, um, the 300th anniversary of what we talked about last week when the hetman of the Cossacks yes. yep. signed the treaty yep. um, with Tsar Alexei. Yep. Um, and so uh, it, it was also to invince the boundless trust and love the Russian people feel toward the Ukrainian people. <laughs> That's beautiful. Uh, what I read about that was that... Um, that's that's a load of crap. Yes, um, I because it was. <laughs> because uh, of a couple of reasons. Number one was that treaty had nothing to do with Crimea. Okay, <laughs> because Crimea was not part of Ukraine at that point in time. Okay, um, there was no reason to give Crimea to Ukraine in the sense that um, they were doing it out of like some sort of like. Um, here, guys, we're commemorating this 300th anniversary. 
Yeah. He's he's have Crimea. Have have this thing that valuable. That <laughs> have this have this piece of land that is uh, not really related to what we're talking about. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> but there was so there was a second reason. The transfer was a natural outgrowth of the territorial proximity of Crimea to Ukraine, the commonalities of their economies, and the close agricultural and cultural ties between the Crimean Oblast and the Ukrainian SSS. Okay. So they're basically allowing these two parts, these two areas to come together again because of a variety of reasons, like similarities that they have. But there's, I feel like there's got to be a more pragmatic reason. That just seems way too altruistic. Well, <laughs> so that second reason doesn't, also doesn't really <gasps> hold up to scrutiny either. Mm, Crimea gotta... was not ethnically Ukrainian at the time. No. It was about, uh, I think it was like a quarter Ukrainian, um, but most of them were Russian. Uh, okay. There were some uh, Tatars. Oh, yeah. they show up in unexpected they places, do. don't they? They do. Um, and so uh, it was quite um, like the, the whole idea that it was a, a cultural ethnic thing as yeah. well yeah. was not, not true, not true okay. either. So what we've got here from James is that um, in Sevastopol, in Crimea, the site of the Soviet Black Sea Fleet, the quintessential element of Russian and then Soviet foreign policy, the transfer had been had the intended effect of binding Ukraine inexorably to Russia, eternally together. That sounds more like a motivation. Sure. So if we give you this bit of land, you will stay with us forever, the mother country, eternally together. Okay, so what I found out was that later on, when they released some more documents. Oh, I love the release of documents. Was that Khrushchev was in the midst of an internal power struggle. Yep. Okay. Yep. And so in order to um, to kind of help himself out, yep. the transfer of Crimea uh, was kind of politically useful for him mm-hmm. um, because he was shoring up support against the prime minister at the time, George A. Malenkov. Yeah. And so it was a concession to people within the party. Who were Ukrainian? The Ukrainian. Hey. <laughs> I knew it. Um, and he was he was also Khrushchev was still also the Communist Party leader in the Ukraine. Okay. Um, and it was it was a really useful way to make sure Ukraine then supported Khrushchev yep. in the Soviets um, yeah. and uh, kept him in power. That sounds more like it. And then, so Crimea has been with Ukraine up until 2014. That was, yeah, that yeah, was it. Okay. Yeah, so they, right. they um, now I, I know that Crimea in the past was Ukrainian. Mm, yeah, um, okay. But it's, like we talked about last week too, it's flip-flopped it's, it's, so yeah. many times. Yeah. Um, and so what, when that happens into a certain region like that, yeah. um, you know, you, you end up with ethnically disparate people anyway. Yeah. So, um I'm sure when I was at uni and we learned about like, um, you know, it was international studies and the lecturer was like, there are like five flashpoints in the world that could cause a global conflict at any time. Mm-hmm, this is like, mm-hmm. you know, the mid 2000s. Um, and I'm sure Crimea was one of them. I'm sure it probably was. Um, yeah. Like South China Sea, Crimea, like <laughs> these uh, disputed territories. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, Turns out they were right. Go yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that the yeah, Crimea is given uh, to Ukraine, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, did do you see a, a quote somewhere that like uh, Khrushchev was asleep at the wheel or something when that happened? Like, like that's been the criticism of him, or he was asleep when he signed the not literally. I didn't. S- I, I thought didn't I thought while well, we were talking about something like that, and you know, the, the critics say that you know he really didn't understand the long term well, implications of what he. Did. Everyone looked at it and went, "The reasons you're giving are dumb." Right. Like that doesn't work. That doesn't check out. Doesn't check out. Um, Yeah. Okay. It did work for him in the short term. Right. um, Because he does maintain power Mm. um, for another 10 years. Yeah. Um, Good job. In which. In in, in an environment like the uh, Soviet Union, that's that's pretty impressive. (laughs) It is. It is. Yeah. Um, And so uh, he, during that time, Mm. um, there there is a a policy called the Thor where it's like a deliberate. Um, liberalization of some yeah. of the, the rules under Stalin's rule. You mm-hmm. know, they, they're um, they're giving amnesties to people who are convicted for state crimes under Stalin. Yeah, um, they're letting people out of the gulags and, yeah. and those types of things. Um, and they're they're also letting some social things 
Some social progress. Back. Okay. Um, and, yeah. and Ukrainians, uh, the relevant thing to Ukrainians is that um, culturally they're allowed to be Ukrainian again. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that was that was kind of a big deal for them. Yeah. Um, All right. And then 64. 64. Khrushchev is stabbed in the back. Figuratively, figuratively speaking. <laughs> uh, by the Politburo, yeah. um, who is led by Brezhnev. Yeah. Um, and uh, they they essentially they think that he has been too lax. Yeah. Uh, one of the big ones was the handling of the Cuban Missile Crisis, um, yeah. where like we as Westerners would look at it and go, "Nah, Khrushchev like avoided complete and utter disaster yeah. there." And well he was played. That's like, a very, "Thank yeah. you, Khrushchev." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's Through a the very, brilliant uh, that's a very Western <laughs> of um, JFK. Well. I actually don't think so, but no, probably not. Yeah. Um, and you know, he sets up, like he's he's the one that sets up the red phone line yes. between the two presidents and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like so, Smart. like really good things do come out of that, yeah. and I think he handles it really well. But internally, it does look the like the thing a is, I think internally, um, face. yeah. Well, so within yeah. within a, a a dictatorship such as the USSR was, I guess at the time still. Yeah. Um, you know, the people underneath you who are believing how great Russia is, yeah. think that you have now you yeah. know, made us look weak. Humiliated, yeah. Um, and so I think they thought Khrushchev made them look weak. Sure, yeah. Um, by yeah. conceding to JFK. Well, there's um, two sides to every story, right? There is. <laughs> I, I actually, like, you know, the, uh, if you haven't seen 13 Days, actually, the movie 13 Days, oh, you, you should really yeah. go and watch all it. Right. Um, it's, it's all based on the, the documents that have been released. Who's in it? Um, since uh, Kevin Costner's in it. Okay, um, I like him. And, um, oh, who's the guy that, oh, I can't remember. They, the Kevin Costner has this really bad Boston accent and it's, um, okay, so he plays JFK. Yeah. No, no, he doesn't play JFK. Oh, okay. He doesn't play JFK. Okay. I can't remember the guy who plays JFK, but, um, it, another Bostonian. Yeah. It's really good. Um, and there's, um, Bruce Greenwood as JFK. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, um, it's really, it's, it's actually a really good, a really good film in terms of looking and understanding about like, you know, how close we come to nuclear war yeah. at that point. But yeah. also, um, you kind of get this idea that Khrushchev, like the people in America, like, and these are like high up intelligence officials and whatever, yeah. believed that Khrushchev was a good guy and yeah. that he wasn't necessarily going to lead them to wars. And they actually also secretly thought that it must be all the generals underneath him who are right. doing the stupid things right. and yeah. he's trying to wrestle control back. Yeah. And so there's all this stuff that goes on behind wow. the scenes like that. Okay. And so, yeah, that's it's, it's okay. actually really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, that's cool. But yeah, Khrushchev gets he's kicked out in 1964, but they don't kill him, which is interesting. interesting. Yes. He's retired. Um, and Brezhnev comes in and uh, <laughs> kind of not, kind of not, <laughs> not hooray, hooray. <laughs> kind of not hooray. Um, they they see Khrushchev as being a period of stagnation, and yeah. they want to like reinvigorate yeah. the Soviet Weak. Union. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there's a reintroduction of Russification yeah. um, under Brezhnev. Um, yeah, and um, the they they want to reunify all the Soviet nations as well. So they want to get rid of the individuality oh, again. Okay, yeah. Um, that bodes well for Ukraine. It, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the, uh, some some Soviet Union um, officials were, were saying, you know, there was like a pseudo, pseudo-sovereign pseudo Soviet republics is what they called them. So yeah, like Ukraine. Okay. Ukraine's not a nation. It's part yeah. of the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so Brezhnev um, talks about at the 24th Party Congress about a new historical community of the people, the mm-hmm. Soviet people, mm-hmm. um, and and wants to reintroduce a new developed socialism, um, yeah. which postpones communism. Okay. So then we're not we're not going full blown communism. We're not, okay, we're scaling back the ideology. Okay. Uh, we're we're in an attempt to make them developing less scary to the well, West. Well, we're developing more. So, no, like so it goes back to the whole. Um, Marx, Marxist idea okay. of like how can you introduce communism? Yeah, and that you need Slowly. capitalism yeah. first. Yeah, um, the the but um, you know obviously that didn't happen in Russia. They went straight from feudal autocracy to yeah communism. Yeah, um, and so there were varying ways of trying to make that happen. And Stalin 
brings in like the NEP and all that kind of the yeah. new economic policy yeah. where he tries to introduce little bits of capitalism to get yeah. kickstart things before they can get to communism. Like, yeah, so right. like a bunch of Soviet leaders try this in different ways. So they're never truly communist in Russia. Yeah. Um, they're trying to kickstart things in different ways to try and make communism work properly. Like it, it never should have happened in Russia, right, according to Marx. According like, to Marx, yeah. it should never it have should happened It should never there. have happened. Yeah. It was never going to work. It yeah. was never going to work. Um, yeah. And so Brezhnev's idea was we're going to do this developed socialism thing yeah. where you can um, – like the state is going to be in control of, of, of things, but there is also some leniency in um, who gets what. And, okay. and, and it's not full-blown, like, like state decides on some who, private who some, some private ownership. Like, ha- like houses, yeah, houses you can buy your own like house. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Um, and also working for the party would have been the, the best kind of job and you would get the most well, stuff with that. kind of right? always the way, right? Yeah, but like when I say working for the party, that could mean like you're an Olympic athlete. Oh yeah, you're working for the party. Yeah, um, you're representing your country. Yeah, so um, party. yeah. So there's yeah, like okay. there's those types of they, things going on too. Yeah, define um, that loosely. Cool. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, Brezhnev is doing that for quite a number of years. Yeah. Um, till he died, right? Till he died. Yeah. Um, yeah. and within that Me time, too. within that time period, um, Ukraine is just kind of plodding along. Yep. Um, doing the best it doing can. Doing the best it can. And then yeah. he dies. He dies in 1982. 82, okay. Um, and there is a couple of changeovers. Uh, Yuri yeah. Andropov dies quickly after taking power. And then Konstantin Chernenko, uh, uh, sorry, Chernenko, Chernenko. Uh, only rules for a little more than a year. Uh, and is then, and then succeeded by Gorbachev, Gorbachev. in 1985. Um <laughs> We like him. <laughs> He's not bad. He's not bad. Yes. So um, some things that maybe you've heard of before, Gorbachev comes in and he's like, okay, we're going to do two things that are two, the two big famous policies that Gorbachev brings in, mm-hmm. which is Glasnost <gasps> and, and Perestroika. perestroika. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say Perestroika. So Glasnost, I'm going to explain Glasnost first. Sure. Uh, that is, uh, it's a, it's a Russian word that means, uh, it's got a, a couple of generic meanings, but essentially it means openness. Yeah. Um, and we like that. Yeah. It was used, <laughs> it was used a few times in the past, yeah. um, to describe governments in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, Lenin used it a couple of times. Um, a couple of czars used it as like a, yeah. you know, we're opening okay. up kind of things. But Gorbachev popularizes the term sure. as a uh, slogan for increased transparency yeah. of government. Because yeah. prior to this, obviously the, yeah, the Soviets are extremely secretive. Everything yeah. they do is se- is a secret. Yeah. Um, a, a, and you only oh. know what they want you to know. Um, so Gorbachev... You're basically living in a police state, right? Yeah, Gorbachev is using this as an idea of, um, you know, no, like if we want, if we want the Soviets to work, yeah. people need to know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, I think that's quite a, progressive. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. a noble stance yeah. to take. Yeah. Um, and then that goes hand in hand with Perestroika, yep. um, which was a movement for reform within the Communist Party. Yeah. Um, and and um, its literal meaning is reconstruction. Yeah. Um, so they were they were trying to reconstruct both the the political mechanisms and also the economic mechanisms within the Soviet Union mm. at the time to try and. Like modernize, yeah, but also like like things had really stagnated. So people like the Soviet Union at this point in time is really like it's running out of money. Mm. It's um like all the all the things like you know trying to maintain their nuclear missiles is going by the wayside. Yeah, um, you know they've got a bunch of nuclear power plants which are going by the wayside, which we'll talk about. In a <laughs> um, so like you know that there's there's a real impetus to try and. Make things, uh, yeah, it will catch up with the rest of the world, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Should we go to 1986? Let's go to 1986. <gasps> no. James doesn't want to go to 1986. No. He knows what's coming. Yeah. He's seen Chernobyl. Oh. <laughs> you haven't. Okay. I haven't seen it yet. I really to. want to. You need I do. To. I do really want to. It's so good. Um, so, okay. <laughs> so, 26 April. Yep. 1986. Yep. We have a uh, meltdown in the reactor mm-hmm. of uh, the Chernobyl nuclear power plant, yes. which is in Ukraine. Yes. Um, and an explosion. Yeah. And that, oh, the city of Pripyat. 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 Um, yes. 
So, uh, basically, the worst nuclear disaster. Has Fuk- Fukushima worse? Or is uh, no, I believe no. Chernobyl's it still the worst. Remain- remains um, the worst. Fukushima is, is close behind. Yes. Um, I know that. I remember just after Fukushima happened, they talked about the idea. So, yeah, we've, the worst. We, we're all born. Um, actually, Late. no, we're not. Okay, so I'm born before Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, are you born for Chernobyl? No. No. How okay. Very, how very dare you? I'm trying to th- I was trying to think. I was trying to <laughs> it's just after though, right? I was born in eighty six. Yeah, okay. All right. James is well after, he's a young and um, baby. People who were born post Chernobyl yeah. have Chernobyl radiation in their DNA. Hey. Yeah. That's me. Yeah, that's you. And you, Jimmy. Yeah. Hey. Um, <laughs> Chernobyl buddies. <laughs> and so Probably everything we should celebrate, Everything right? everything post Chernobyl, you can you can actually tell if something is okay, post Chernobyl. Okay, so like or historians not. of the future will we be can able use to it. date things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Based um, on and it's going to be the same for that's Fukushima. Cool. The okay. children born post Fukushima because it got into the water supply, so oh, um, it's our children. So our children will have Fukushima wow. in their DNA. And that's how far reaching yeah. the um, yep. impact of it was. Yeah, but the, the cloud of uh, nuclear radiation from Chernobyl was yep. massive. Yes. Massive. Yes. The it winds just picked it up yeah. And, yeah. and blew um, it for miles. I, I don't know how – oh, I think – so it's um, it's not the people of the Soviet Union but the government of the Soviet Union heard that, um, you know, people in Germany weren't letting their kids go outside like yes. in the immediate fallout and that's when they were like, oh – I think this is bad because <laughs> they weren't they weren't um, taking it quite seriously. No, no, they weren't. The, and I think, like, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm pretty sure a lot of it is to do with bad communication up the chain, right? Yeah. So but bad communication um, because there is no like ability to communicate cl- like clearly because you know your boss doesn't want to hear that. The bad thing to be reported, and you don't want to tell team. your no, boss the bad thing. No, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, um, that's sort of the reason for it. I think it's a lot of covering up because they there's no um, no one wants to look bad. No, and it's, it's that loss of um, yeah saving face. And, and by the time you get to an uh, international level, Russia yeah. doesn't want to look bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then they realize that very very quickly that that's already too late it um, is too late yeah 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 yep. um and i mean the cloud stretches as far as england i think in so the end, doesn't it yeah yeah um, yeah um like the 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 spike in radiation is able to be measured like all across europe yeah yeah um at, at the time yeah um so i i didn't really record any like facts and figures the the, the thing that um blows me away is the official um, like death toll. Yeah. Um. So and it's even like it's United Nations. Um. So because I always thought like, oh, well, these are Russian reports. So again, you know, it's it's not uh maybe as transparent as it should be. Right. But um, no, the United Nations Scientific Committee of the Effects of Atomic Radiation has concluded that, uh, apart from so. 5,000 thyroid cancers, um, of which 15 were fatalities. There's no evidence of a major public health impact attributable to radiation exposure 20 years after after the incident, okay? Yep. But in the immediate – well, sorry, not the immediate. Uh, like it killed two two workers were killed in the immediate explosion. Yep. But then it's the it's the firefighters um, who were called to the scene. It's the plant workers who were trying to contain um, the outbreak, and then all of the, like they brought in the army. Um, all of those people, um, like they all have quite high. <coughs> pardon me. Um, instances of of cancer and things like that in in the months after yeah 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 so it's um undeniable <laughs> the impact oh. that, obviously <laughs> yeah crazy yeah um yeah. and uh, like um gorbachev talks about it as uh he uh, he wrote that it was the real downfall of yeah. the Soviet Union. I have a quote from him here. So the Chernobyl disaster, more than anything else, opened the possibility of much greater freedom of expression to the point that the system as we knew it could no longer continue. Yeah. Um, and then I think there's another one that he says it was like the beginning of the end um, of the Soviet yeah. Union. Well, if you just think about consequences of, of yeah. something of that scale, yeah. like you can't trust your government to protect you anymore, yeah. can you? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. I think, um, yeah, so James has just highlighted here, nuclear cleanup is scheduled for completion by 2065. Wow. <laughs> um, and uh, did they spent um, 18 billion rubles. Yes. Um, at that time to uh, contain and, and try and decontaminate. Obviously, it's... Um, still contaminated now. If you if you go into the site, you need to wear the radiation tags, and you can only stay for so long. Mm. Um, mm. Although I do know, here's another fun fact. I oh, I found do there I need is, to sing it again? Or? No, it's no, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> there is there's a company. Oh, I don't know what they're called now. Oh, I wish I had it in front of me. There's a company that is mm. growing food mm. um, in Chernobyl mm-hmm. um, and selling it. Um, Okay. In the U- in the EU, uh, like, are a, they proving that it can be? Yeah, done they're proving or? that it can okay, be done and okay. proving that it's safe to it's eat. Safe. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there's yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, one sort of thing I so um, if you do watch the show and you know I'm very wary of like basing my historical knowledge on um, TV shows that I watch, but sure. I think you know they they're very well researched. Um, but the <laughs> HBO does a good job, James. Don't look at me like that. Um, <laughs> the hero of, of Chernobyl was um, Valery Legasov. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was the scientist that immediately recognised the um, significance of the problem and, and what could happen right. um, if it wasn't contained. And what scares me, like watching the show and reading about it, is like um, how bad it could have been. If, if there, he didn't. If he, like, he didn't. Recognize, recognize it, it. Mm. if he didn't uh, i forget the name of the politician that he convinced to do like the political fighting for him right. um but yeah if he didn't convince him if he didn't have like the the mathematical scientific brain to figure out what needed to be done because there were so many steps to containing it mm-hmm. um to prevent um a complete meltdown which right. would have then gone into the water supply which then would have been the water supply for all of the soviet union and eastern europe <sighs> and then eventually it would have had a huge um mm. like catastrophic impact um and then also just like the everyday kind of bravery of they, they brought in miners to dig underneath. Yeah, to yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because they they because like it was the, a fire, um, they put water the firefighter yeah, they, first responders too. Yeah, the first yeah. responders there. Um, like because it was a fire, they like tried to put it out with water. Yeah, and so everything was filled with water, and then they figured out that um oh, so radiation is going into that water. It's heating up the water. It's going to melt down into the ground and like seep out that way. And so they brought in miners mm-hmm. to um like dig under it. To, I think to lay concrete or something yep. to stop that from happening. Um, and so like you know w- to what extent did these people have choice i'm not really sure but they did it well and uh uh, things that i've seen before like documentaries and that with with people who were there like uh, you know is talking about they how they weren't they weren't told what was going on they were told here is is your your job this is your job you go and do this yeah um you know there's an emergency and we need to fix it yeah um but here's your job go and do it they had no idea what they were walking into yeah there was one part where um, they had to get all of the, um, I think it's the graphite that mm. came from the core off, mm-hmm. off the roof, and they tried to bring in like um, rovers from from Luna, right? Like yeah, their space program. Yeah, um, but the radiation was too much; they kept blowing out. Wow. Um. So they're like, we have to use people. Yeah. Um. So they soldiers brought in soldiers, and they figured out the maximum amount of time someone could be out there exposed to it before it became dangerous um, and sent them out and they had to just pick up as much as they could and throw it off the roof. Yep. And then down, and they, then down. down they went. Um, wow. And they went like only once. So they had that to bring in like thousands and thousands yeah. of soldiers. Yep. But like, yeah, very it's crazy. Brave too. Very yeah. brave. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, um, but yeah, it's, I just, I find it fascinating. I guess so, so do the kids because every year there's a kid doing Chernobyl for their historical investigation, mm-hmm. but I never get sick of Definitely. reading it. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, so the beginning of the end of the Soviet Union. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to start talking about the collapse? Sure. What have you got? Because I've lost the internet. You've lost the internet. Yep, I have oh to no. get it back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess um, there are like a, a, a number of factors that led to it um, and Gorbachev's policy of um, glasnost mm-hmm. was kind of the beginning because people started to get used to having a little bit more freedom. Yes. Um, you've got the Berlin Wall. Yep. 
I guess. Yep. Uh, that's so it's it's in little like in the satellite parts across the Soviet Union. You're starting to see more and more dissent. Um, so the the Berlin Wall is one example where um, people just like so. People just started crossing borders, didn't mm, they? Like mm-hmm. not in Berlin, like outside, outside of Berlin. Outside of Berlin, yep. Um, it was becoming increasingly difficult to stop people from just like yeah. leaving. Yep. Yep. Um, and then to the point where um, it started as a rumour, didn't it? People were saying the wall's coming down and that's how the crowd kind of gathered. Yeah, yeah and that's then, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then so like the Berlin wall just came down. Yeah, there's a really <laughs> interesting podcast and I can't remember the name of it now either. I need uh, to. There's a really interesting podcast about the, the collapse of the Berlin wall and, yeah. and the, the last moments yeah. where like the people in charge in Berlin yeah. really thought, no, we can we can keep it going. Like things are, we, things are good and they're about to start this program of like right. <clears throat> cracking down on some certain things yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the rumours begin and then that's it. And that's it's it. over. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and they weren't getting support from Gorbachev at all. No, um, well, he wasn't really. He didn't. He, he didn't want Berlin anymore. To be yeah. honest, <laughs> yeah, you guys are too much of a problem. Um, um, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think um, you know, it, it gets to a point where the the idea of control is over. I mm, think. Yeah. Um, not just in Berlin, but in every like yeah in, it, in all Soviet blocks. Like, I guess it's a weakening of the resolve of like the central like powers. Yes. Um, and so as, you know, you got Berlin, Hungary was another one. Yep. Um, start breaking like away and it's like, okay, well, this is, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> There's obviously heaps more to it than that, but um, that's kind of how I understand it. What have you got? Yep. So, um, you know, there, there was a, a failed coup in, in Russia in 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- so post that um, the Supreme Soviet of Ukraine declared independence. Um, on the 24th of, 4th of August, 1991. Yep. Renamed itself um, to Ukraine. Um, yeah. And there was a, a independence referendum held on the 1st of December, 1991. Was, um, it, was it in response to like popular movement? Yep. Like protests? Yep. Massive, massive popular movement and, yeah. um, because state censorship was over. Yeah. Um, because yeah. of Glasnost. Yeah. Um, and uh, so there was, it was a 92.3% majority wow, yeah. for independence. Sure. Um, it had a majority in all oblasts, which is districts. Yep. Um, and most notably in Crimea, um, they supported it with a 50, uh, 54% majority. Um, Just. Yep. So, uh, and 80% of the population of Eastern Ukraine voted for independence as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, as soon as that was done, they were immediately recognised by the international community. We we're like, "Yay! Iron Curtain's coming down. Welcome, welcome. Um, come on over." Uh, yeah. And uh, then uh, we we get Leonid Kravchuk being elected the Ukrainian president. How um, many of them were called Leonid? Uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so he's he becomes president in 1991. 62 of the vote. Yeah. Um, and uh, he gets uh, the, the presidential powers mm. um, and that was it. Secession of the second most powerful republic in the Soviet Union. Yeah. I um, think that's important too, um, how big Ukraine is. And we, like, we did talk about it last episode, um, but they are the second biggest. So yeah. once they go, it really is um, a weakening of the... Yep. The union. Um, and so that all happens. And then on the 26th of the December that year, Soviet yeah. Union is over. Yeah. It dissolves. Yeah. Um, they do try, I know Ukraine do try to keep former Soviet states mm-hmm. like as a, like a, let's be friends. Yeah. Um, and they, they sign like accords with um, Belarus and, yeah. and some other independent yeah. states mm. that have, have formed out of that. But yeah. um, that's, that's it. That's it. All right. That's, That's how, how it, it came, came to, to this. this. <laughs> Join us next week for part three, 1991 to now, the Putin years. As always, you can catch us by email. How did it come to this podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at HDICTT podcast. If you like the show, remember to leave us a review. How Did It Come To This is written by Daniel Matters and Siobhan Doherty. Our producer is James Tuckwell, edited by Daniel Matters, original music by Lachlan McWhorter.